0: Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. When it comes to Jesus, in the New Testament, there are a couple of different terms that people use to describe Jesus, and um, one term I think is probably focused on a little bit more than the other. But everybody, when they start thinking about Jesus, they tend to think about him in two different ways. We we hear Jesus referred to as Savior and Lord, Savior and Lord. Uh, you've heard this. In New Testament writers, they when they wrote about Jesus, these were the two most common terms they would use to describe him. You know, he's our Savior and he's our Lord. And we kind of get at least what the savior side means. When they're talking about Jesus as savior, they're referring to him as forgiver. And it's absolutely true. They're referring to him as okay, you know, there's this there's this gap created between us and God It's kind of what we sang about just a moment ago. That there, you know, we have rebelled against God, and this is pretty extraordinary when you pause to think about it, that God would want to close a gap for us. That Jesus died and rose again to pay the penalty for all of our sins. So we we get this forgiveness, and the, the extraordinary thing about that forgiveness is it's, it's given to us without us having to do anything. So we all get that. We all appreciate that. But the Lord's side is a little different. And the Lord is not a term that we use nearly as much in our, um, in our day and time. Unless you, you know, I don't know, uh, live in England or love the crown, you probably don't hear this term referred to very much, do you? But, but Lord, when they used the term Lord, they simply referred to Jesus as king. That's what they were talking about, as their leader, So when they would say Savior and Lord, they were saying, oh, he's our forgiver. He's our our king. He's our leader. And if you don't understand first century context, this may connect some dots for you. This is why the first century followers of Jesus and honestly second, third century all the way up until Constantine, this is why they got in so much trouble with the Roman Empire. It was not because they believed Jesus had come to forgive everybody. No, no, no. They got in trouble because they referred to Jesus as their king. And they refused to refer to Caesar as king. They said, no, 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 we just have one king. We only have one leader anymore. It's Jesus. This is why they got in so much trouble. This is why the Romans tried to put an end to this movement. This is why all the persecution happened. And there's a big difference between the two. You know, when you focus on savior, forgiver, this is all about believing and receiving. This is what's so wonderful about it. Well, if I believe that Jesus you know, pay the penalty for all my sins, and he's offering me forgiveness, and I'm willing to receive it. It's that simple. There's nothing you have to do. You know, you don't earn it. You, you, you don't deserve it. It's just an act of grace. This is pretty remarkable, but when you get over to Lord and King, well, that side of the equation requires a lot of trusting, and it requires a lot of following. Th- this side over here is a lot more about, and maybe this isn't the right word, but it's a lot more about consuming. When, when I live in this world over here, oh, he's my Savior, and he's my forgiver. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but this is just It's all about what I get. It's about consuming. That side over there requires me to contribute a lot more. This this side over here is a lot more about, hey, this is what's in it for me. That side over there requires me to think about this is what's in it for other people. And I think part of the reason those of us who are Christians have, and I'm talking about just in general, but Christians in America today, part of the reason that there's such a big gap between what we say we're known for and what we want to be known for and what we're actually known for, is because we are quick to embrace the savior and the forgiver side. Oh yeah, give me that, because that makes me feel good. That's all about you know taking care of my guilt and my shame. I'm all about that. I want to know I'm forgiven. We're, we're quick to embrace this. We are not so quick to embrace the other side. We talk about, and you know this, we talk about this all the time. We don't focus so much on that side. And part of the reason is because forgiveness is free. It does not cost us anything. But following Jesus, following him as our king, as our leader, that's going to cost us something. And that is why I think Jesus, when he was on this earth, he would look at people and his invitation to them was not, hey, just believe in me, just receive my forgiveness. His invitation to them was follow me because for him to embrace Jesus was a lot more than just to embrace him as your forgiver. It was also to embrace him as your king, your leader. It wasn't just about, hey, give me what I need. Give me what's in it for me. It was about, no, no, no. Now I'm choosing to have a new authority in my life. And I think this is why when you read the documents, the authors of the New Testament, it's interesting. And you might find this surprising because again, all we ever focus on is the savior and the forgiver side. But The writers of the New Testament referred to Jesus 157 times as Savior. They referred to him 700 times as their Lord or their King because they understood what Jesus had come and invited all of us to be a part of. And it was more than just make things right between me and God and get everything good there and, oh, I'm forgiven, so everything's fine. Jesus had come and invited us into a different way of life where we were no longer the authority of our lives, where we were going to make life about following him and serving the people that were all around us. They understood and they tried to communicate so clearly, and I just think we missed it, but they tried to communicate so clearly the simple idea that we get to choose whether we follow Jesus. We get to choose whether we want the forgiveness or not, and it's You know, conversation for another day, but it's mind-blowing when you pause and think about the fact that Jesus would give his life for us, knowing he was still going to give us freedom of choice and that people might turn and reject it. But that's the depth of the love he had for us, and they understood that. We get to choose whether we follow. He doesn't force that on anybody, but we do not get to choose how we follow. We do not get to choose, once we decide to follow, whether we're going to embrace him as our king, as our leader, Is our authority or not? So, during this series, we're simply trying to unpack the other side of the equation, the the leader, the king, the Lord side of the equation. What does it look like to follow Jesus step by step? Because there is when you, and I don't know that Jesus does this with everybody, but in general, when you read the accounts of Jesus' life, you find there's almost a, a process, there's a pattern that Jesus tends to invite and take people through as they learn how to shift from making themselves the authority in their lives to to making him the authority of their lives. And I'll just briefly review because we talked about this last week. But Jesus always starts by saying, hey, just come follow me, hang out with me, study me, if you will, you know, just examine, explore, try to figure out what you believe about me. Just listen and learn. Jesus always invite people, just spend some time around me. And you figure out for yourself if you think I am who I claim to be. But this stage, and this is what I don't want you to miss, this stage is a fun stage to be at. For the simple fact that you can explore and follow your curiosity, but it will not cost you anything. This is 100% a spectator stage, isn't it? It's 100% I'm just sitting back, I'm just checking it out. But at some point, Jesus invites all of us to move from just study me, just figure me out, to take a step. Okay, now you got to do something. Jesus never leaves us in a comfortable place where we can sit back and just go, I don't know, I'm just going to see. No, at some point he says, okay. Enough of that, you've heard enough, you've seen enough, you've learned enough, and he invites us to take some step, to move from a spectator to a, particip- to a participator, to move from I'm just thinking about it to okay, I'm willing to do something about it. And I don't know what this step looks like, it's different for all of us, but it's always some step of inconvenience, and what I mean by that is it requires us to put our foot in the water, so to speak, to get moving, you know, to, to give a little bit of our time, to invest a little bit of ourselves to say, okay, this is what I'm hearing about Jesus. Now I'm gonna get involved and I'm gonna start following, I'm gonna start moving and I'm gonna test whether what I'm hearing is actually true. And once we do that for a little bit, the next phase, the next stage, if you will, in the process is there comes a point where Jesus makes an ask that feels like a huge step. It feels like, honestly, and this would be the word we would use, it feels like a sacrifice to us. In other words, and some of you, If you've tried to follow Jesus, you know this. There comes a point where God nudges your heart or, you know, you hear something at church or something happens in your life and you feel like, I think God wants me to do that. And it just feels like if you did it, it would cost you way too much. It seems irrational. It doesn't seem to make any sense. Quite honestly, this is a point where we begin to wrestle through, okay, who am I actually going to listen to in my life? Who's going to be The king of my life. Am I going to keep control of everything or am I going to do what he asked me to do even though it doesn't make sense? And it's not a total surrender kind of thing, but it's a surrender in one area. Where you go, I just, man, it makes me so uncomfortable or it scares me so much to do what God wants me to do in this area of my life, to forgive them as fully as He says to forgive. I just don't know that I wanna do that. I think it costs too much. To be this generous or, you know, to invest in my relationship in this way. To, and I had this conversation with somebody the other day. They were talking about some issues in their relationship. And I brought up this simple idea. This is a great example. I brought up this simple idea of, you know, what Jesus invites us to do in relationships is practice mutual submission. Mutual submission. Mutual submission is just the idea that both people in a relationship say, no, you first, no, you first. I'm putting you before me. No, I'm putting you before me. I'm treating you like you're the most important person in the relationship, and I'm going to treat you like you're the most important. That's what mutual submission looks like. And it sounds wonderful, but some of you know this because you've been at this point. Here's what makes mutual submission feel like such a sacrifice. The only way mutual submission happens in a relationship is one of the parties have to decide they're going to go first. In other words, okay, I'm going I'm to take a risk, and I'm going to put you before myself. And you know why nobody ever does that? You know why you never get to mutual submission? Because both people are over here going, no, 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 I want the other person to go first. Because what if I go first, and then they don't submit back, you know, and they don't care about me, and I'm just serving them. And they, There's so much fear involved with that. This is what I'm talking about. There comes a point where it's like, I'm afraid I'll get taken advantage of. I'm afraid this won't work out. I don't want to take the risk. I don't want to make the sacrifice. But what you discover when you actually step out and decide to trust God in those arenas, when you take that, you know, it feels like a sacrifice. I'm going to do it. I'll see if God does what he says he's going to do. What you discover in those moments is how trustworthy he is. What you discover is, oh, he does know best. Oh, that, that was the best thing I could do. And it's when you stack enough of those together that you develop a deep enough enough trust that you can get to the place, and this is what all of us in church have heard, this is where we ought to be, but you just can't get here overnight. But you get to the place where you surrender. I mean, fully surrender, where you're going, okay, God, you have proven you're trustworthy so many times in my life that now I'm to the point, whatever you say, I'll obey you. Whatever you ask me to do, I'm gonna do it. It may be irrational, it may seem like it's inconvenient, I'm, I'm gonna do it, because I know you've got in your heart, what's best for me? That, that's where we all should get. But you don't get there overnight. And you don't get there without deep trust because trust is the foundation for any healthy relationship. Now, the question I want to talk about today is this. If you actually decide to follow Jesus through this process, the question is, what is the point? So what's the point of getting to the point that you are fully surrendered to Jesus? I mean, What are you missing if you don't? What's the payoff? Why would you go through all the inconveniences? Why would you go through all the fear? Why would you go through all the quote unquote sacrifices to get yourself to the point where he even wants to surrender? Well, if you've ever asked that question, if you've ever thought that, what you need to understand is this. There is a reason that Jesus wants you to get to that point of surrender. And it's not for his benefit, it's for yours. So, for the Next few minutes, I want us to answer this question. And for all of you Avenger fans, this is just for you. The question is, what is the end game? See what I did there? What is the end game of following Jesus? What's the end game? In other words, if I do it and I walk through this process and I keep trusting, I keep trusting. And when I don't trust, because we all do that sometimes, I get back up and I start trusting again. What's the end game? What's the payoff? What's the purpose of following him? Now, if I ask you that question, I'm going to take a guess at what might come up. Is it just so you can be a better person? Because that's what some of us have heard in church. You follow Jesus, you be a better person. And that's absolutely true. Following Jesus makes your life better. He makes you better at life. Following Jesus, you're going to, I mean, Paul talked about this. If you genuinely follow Jesus, he is going to shape your character until you have his character, until you're known for things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, qualities that we all wish were true in our lives. Those are the things that when people talk about us, we, we hope they say those things about us. So absolutely, following Jesus makes you a better person. But when you read the accounts of Jesus' life, you do not find one instance where he has a conversation with someone and he says, I want you to follow me because I'll make you a better person. It is a byproduct, it's a part of it, but it is not the end game for him. Now, some of you, you good church people are going, no, Matt, the answer is obvious. You, you wanna follow Jesus so that you can go to heaven. It, that's obvious, right? And I hate to burst your bubble. I mean, good news, if you accept his forgiveness, you're gonna go to heaven, so that's all taken care of. But, but I hate to burst your bubble, but the reality is, do you realize that Jesus actually rarely ever talked about heaven? He actually talked about money more than heaven. I'll let you figure out why he would do that. But he never—he hardly ever talked about heaven. And he hardly ever connected the dots with, hey, would you please follow me just because I want you to be in heaven one day? I mean, that was not his pitch. As a matter of fact, the, the Savior and the forgiver side makes everything right between us and God. Well, we'll spend eternity with him. You don't technically have to have the Lord and the king side figured out to go to heaven so that wasn't the point it wasn't the point now in certain circles today if you run around in church circles or with church people the message is often sent is this well the end game is so you can live a pain-free problem-free life I mean that's why you ought to follow Jesus because he'll take care of all of your problems and I'm going to try to stay off my soapbox on this one because it's just ludicrous okay it's irrational As a matter of fact, it really threw people for a loop when COVID hit. I don't know if you paid attention to social media, but I got a lot of good laughs because everybody was like, Christians were losing their minds. Like, how could this happen? We're following God. Let's just pray and ask God and it'll go away. And then it didn't go away. And then they didn't know what to do, you know. Jesus did not say, if you follow me, your life's going to get easier. Jesus actually looked at his followers and said, no, no, no. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And if you follow me, you're going to have even more trouble. It was not the most motivational pitch to follow him, was it? But he was very clear about this. And so anytime you hear somebody say, or if you have been taught, no, no, no. If you're following Jesus well, all you have to do is A, B, and C. You know, there's some, there's some like superstitious religious rituals you go through. And if, you, if you're doing this, this, and this, then all your problems are going to go away. If you do this, this, and this, you won't have any problems. No, no, no. Jesus never taught that. As a matter of fact, listen, that is not faith. That's not faith. And it's been presented to you as faith and it's presented to other people as faith because when it doesn't happen, what do people say to you? Well, you just don't have enough faith. If you had more faith, then all your you know, God would answer your prayers and take away all that. No, no, no. That's not faith. Let me tell you what that's called. It's called magic, okay? That's what it's called. It's called magic. What they're trying to do is embrace magic. They want to have a, a God as a genie in a bottle that just does magic tricks for them whenever they need them to take care of something. And it's very important you understand this because the thing that will will throw you for a loop is sometimes people go through their rituals or their superstitious routines, and then their problems do disappear. And they go, see, I told you. To which from now on, you can look back at them and say, no, 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 that wasn't necessarily God. That was just magic. And all magic works some of the time. Do you know this? It does. All magic works some of the time because there's such a thing as coincidence, okay? So I don't know. Maybe it was God. Maybe it wasn't. I tend to think it's usually not. But, you know, if they prayed this certain prayer every day for so many times and they crossed themselves and they went to church, you know, they did this little routine and they got their prayer answered. It's probably not God. And here's why I would say that. It's probably not God. And the reason is probably just coincidence is because they'll turn around and do it the next time and it won't work. But when you buy into this, that, oh, God's supposed to make my life, you know, he's just magic. Make everything go, you know, go smooth. When you buy into this, guess what happens when you do your superstitious routine and God doesn't fix your problems? You get mad at God. That's what you do. Oh, my gosh, I did all the things. And last time it worked and this time it didn't work. You get mad at God. And God's, I, I'm about to put words in God's mouth. That's probably not a smart thing to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think God's up there going, Are you crazy? I said it's in black and white. Just read your New Testament. It's in black and white. I told you you were going to have a lot of problems. More than the average person, you know. He's going, I never promised that. So that is not the end game. This is my point. That is not the end game of following Jesus. It's not why you ought to follow. It's not why you ought to say, okay, well, you're my king. You know, I'm going to let you have the authority and call the shots in my life. So what is the end game? Well, to show you what it is, I want to take you to one of Jesus' teachings and I can promise you that not a one of you have this printed out on your fridge on a magnet, okay? Because there's nothing encouraging or motivational about this until you get to the end. And even that, you know, is not super encouraging. But I want to take you to one of Jesus' teachings, and you need to understand the context behind this. Jesus explained this to his 12 disciples. You know, And he had just recently called them and said, I want you to follow me. So these are the guys who are going to spend three years with him. all right? These are the guys, they don't know this at the time, but he knows these are the guys that he's going to hand the message off to and say, okay, it's your job to make sure it spreads. You know, y'all lead the first church. You're off and running. These are those guys. And so he's he's called them, and they've chosen to follow. And the reason, this is important to understand, the reason they've chosen to follow is because they actually believe he is the king. They believe he's the king of the Jews. They believe he's the long way of Messiah. But they're totally confused about the kind of kingdom he's going to set up and about the kind of king he is. They think, okay, he's going to set up a, a kingdom. He's going to be a king right here on this earth. He's going to overthrow the Romans and, you know, restore Israel to its glory. And if we're following him and we're the closest ones, you know, we're going, to, we're going to have all the power, you know. We're going to get to be right there close to him. So they're following, but for all the wrong motives. And so he's trying to clear this up with them. And he sits them down and he tells them what is going to happen to them. Not like tomorrow, but down the road, in the future, once he's gone. He goes ahead and lays it out for them. Now, the good news, and I don't want you to miss this, the good news of what we're about to read is none of this until we get to the very end where there's a principle about why you should follow Jesus, the good news is none of the description of what's going to happen to them is going to happen to you, all right? So you can relax. You don't have to walk out of here scared. None of it's going to happen to us. This is just for those guys. But at the end, he connects the dots for all of us, about the end game, about why we should follow Jesus to begin with, about why we should move from, always my Savior, and I got what I needed from him. I'm so happy for that. But I'm going to go live my life and do what I want to do now and be in charge. Why we should move from that side of the equation. And no, 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 I'm going to embrace him as my king, as my leader. I'm actually going to give the authority of my life to him. Here's why Jesus said we should do it. We'll get to that. First, the description here's what he says to them. He says, I'm sending you out. He's talking to Peter and Andrew, James, John, Matthew, all those guys. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, which they're like, we have no idea what that means, but that sounds dangerous, you know? Therefore, he says, be as shrewd as snakes. I don't even know what that means either. And as innocent as doves, and they're all scratching their head. So he gets a little more clear and direct. He says, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils. You will be flogged in the synagogues. Now, We read that and don't think much about it, but flogging was a common occurrence in their world and their life. They had seen it with their own eyes. They knew how dangerous it was. People often died from floggings. This was a terribly brutal practice that was common among the Romans. It was even common, you know, in some of the other cultures, but they watched it with the Romans in their own nation, in their own world. And so they're hearing this and they're thinking, "Whoa, whoa, we're so confused. Because you're so popular right now, Jesus, it's why we're following you. Because we think you're about to set up your kingdom. Obviously, there's this movement going on. How, how are we going to get flogged? I mean, you're the king. You're going to be in charge of everything. They, they just couldn't understand. They're going, we don't, we don't want anything to do with that part of it. But we don't even see how that could happen to us. Jesus says, no, 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 it's going to happen to you. He goes on he says, on my account, you're going to be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Witnesses of what? Not witnesses to what Jesus taught, to what Jesus said. And this eventually plays out, right? He says, you're going to be witnesses to what you see. You're going to be witnesses to what happened. You're going to be witnesses to the resurrection. And he continues. He says, but when they arrest you. Now imagine you're sitting there and you're one of the disciples and you hear that. You're like, that is not what I signed up for. What do you mean when? What? If you're the king who's in charge of everything, then there should be no need for there to be an arrest of me because you you got all the power, right? Jesus is going, Yeah, I've got all the power. So we can just take care of this arrest thing, right? He says, No, actually not. They're going to arrest you. But when they arrest you, he says, Don't worry, don't worry. I love this. When they arrest you, he says, Do not worry about what to say or how to say it. I'm actually not going to be worried about that. I'm going to be worried about the fact I got arrested. That's what I'm worried about, you know? You have a right to remain silent. I just won't say anything. But I'm more concerned about the fact that I'm arrested. He says, no, don't worry about what's there. How to say it. At that time, you're going to be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. And I think they're looking at each other like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not worried about what to say. I'm worried about how do I get a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's what I'm worried about. And if you're who we think you are, again, it just doesn't make sense. Can't you take care of this? Why would you let us get arrested to begin with? Jesus goes on. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. <laughs> this, sounds, this sounds so dumb, doesn't it? It's like, can we just be honest for a minute? Every one of us would be worried about somebody who could kill us. And Jesus is going, it just sounds irrational. Jesus is going, no, no, no. They're going to arrest you and they're going to have the power to kill you. And I'm, I'm not going to show up and rescue you, but don't worry about it. It's amazing that these 12 guys even kept following. This is not exactly the pitch you'd want to give. He says, no, don't worry about it. If they can kill the body, can't kill the soul, no reason to fear them. He says, instead, I want you to be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is Jesus' way of saying, when you find yourself in these difficult situations, don't forget the bigger picture. Don't forget the fact that you are following the one who has total control over your future and over your fate. So you don't have to worry about all the fear that's going to be present. I mean, you're going to feel it. You're going to deal with it. But I have have more power than they have. And I've already taken care of your ultimate future, of your ultimate fate, which again, makes us all scratch our heads because we're like, well, yeah, but if you got that power and if you love us, then why would you, you know? Why would you? I don't understand. And then Jesus does... What Jesus so often did that was so frustrating to them. He decides to teach them why, but he changes the subject and says something that just makes no sense in the context. As they're scratching their heads and they're looking at each other, going, This you know, I don't know if I want to follow. He looks at them and asks them a question. He says, Why are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And they're all like, uh, yes, but what's that have to do with prison? You know, yes, but I don't understand. He says, Well, well, not one of them is going to fall to the ground outside of your father's care, is it? And again, they still don't understand. They're confused. But they're like, okay, so so you're telling me God's paying that much attention to the sparrows. Wonderful. Whoa. If he's paying attention to us, why wouldn't he get rid of all the trouble, get rid of all the pain, get rid of all the problems, get rid of the arrest happening to us? And then Jesus makes another weird statement. He says, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, personally, the older I get, the less impressed I am by this. <laughs> oh, some of you, you're still impressed. That's great. I'm like, nah, I could figure that out myself, Jesus, but okay. But then he makes the point, okay? Then he makes the point. I don't want you to miss this. Then he finally gets to where he connects the dots for them. And he says, guys, guys, and this is true for us too, guys, guys, the reason you're following me it's not so you'll have a problem-free life. The reason you're following me is not just so, oh, I know I'm going to go to heaven one day. No, no, no. He says, the reason I'm inviting you to follow me, the reason it's worth following me, even though all these things are going to happen to you, is because of this. He says, so, if God cares about you that much, if he loves you that much, don't be afraid because you're worth more to him than many sparrows. Now, if it makes you feel any better, if you're sitting there going, "I don't know that I buy that," because if he really loved me, why wouldn't he stop and change? And you know, I get all that. If it makes you feel any better, these twelve guys didn't buy it and understand it at the moment either. As a matter of fact, what they pretty much did is said, "Okay, we're just gonna—I don't know what he's talking about—but we can't even see how that would happen with all the popularity. We're gonna keep following him." We, We. We're we're not going to buy into that. We don't think it will really happen to us. And they just kept right on following. But they didn't understand this. As a matter of fact, they didn't understand this until after they'd gone through some persecution. They didn't understand this until they got on the other side of the resurrection. And then they understood the point. They finally realized what you and I need to realize. That the end game of following Jesus is a trust that trumps all fear. Don't miss this. The end game. The reason Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to get to the point where you're fully surrendered to me. It's not so you'll be a better person, although that'll happen. It's not so you go to heaven, that'll happen. It's not so you have a problem-free life, that's not going to happen. He says, no, the reason I want you to get to the point where you're fully surrendered to me is because when you're at that point, you have a trust that's developed with me that is so deep that it will trump any fear that you encounter in your life. It will not remove the fear, but it will keep the fear from overwhelming you. Now, why would that matter? Well, I want you to think about your own life. Whenever you find yourselves in moments where you're overwhelmed by fear, your kids have made some choices that just scare you to death and you're like, I don't know if they're ever gonna get back on track and I'm afraid of where they're headed and what's gonna happen or you find yourself in a situation where you lose a job where you're facing some circumstances and you realize, I have zero control, zero control. Whenever you find yourself in one of these moments where you're overwhelmed by fear, what is your natural reaction? Well, first of all, I'm just like you. What's natural for us is to let fear paralyze us. And all I mean by that is when we feel fear, what's natural is to say, I'm not going to follow you anymore, Jesus. There's too much fear in taking that step. So I'm not going to do it. And what's natural whenever I feel fear is to say, okay, it's been nice for you to have authority over my life, but now I'm in the middle of so much fear and uncertainty, I'm going to take control. This is what's natural for us, isn't it? I want to take control and I want to manipulate outcomes and I want to orchestrate my circumstances and I want to call the shots on things so that I get myself out of this situation and I don't have to feel the fear anymore. That's what's natural. But what happens when you and I put ourselves on the throne of our own lives? Well, first of all, we place ourselves in a position that we are not capable of handling. Because you know this, you know this. Whenever you try to control circumstances that you actually don't have the power to control, what it creates inside of you is anxiety and worry and stress. You get overwhelmed. It does not make you a better person, it makes you a worse person. It does not make you more loving to the people around you, it makes you less loving. Whenever you find yourself in those circumstances, you do not make your life better. And you're not more loving to the people around you. Everything gets worse when I feel like it's all on my shoulders. And i got to fix this and i got to change this, but I know no matter how much I try, I just don't have enough power to do it. So what Jesus is saying is, I want to invite you to develop a trust with me that is so deep. That when the fear comes, and when it feels like it's about to overwhelm you, it's not going to disappear. But you will not make the mistake of trying to control something and be someone that you were not created to be. That you will have absolute perfect confidence that I'm with you in the middle of your pain, of your trouble, of your fear. That I'm not going to leave you. That you will allow me to continue to be the authority, the king, the leader, that you'll continue to follow me through the fear. Because you know what happens when you don't feel like it's on you anymore? You know what happens when you're confident that he's with you and he's for you and he loves you and it's on him? You find peace. Not the absence of fear, you find peace in the middle of fear. You have security. And that's what we all want most in the middle of our fear. But listen, you don't get there unless you follow. You don't get there unless you decide, I I don't want Jesus to be more than just my savior and my forgiver. I'm actually going to do what I can do and try my best to follow him as my leader and my king. And when you do that over a period of time and you take a step and another step and another step and then you mess up, but you get back and you know, take the next step and you get to the point where you're willing to make what feels like sacrifices. You take bigger steps and bigger steps and your trust in God is built bigger and bigger and bigger. Over time, you will develop the kind of trust where you're absolutely confident God is with you no matter what you are going through and you will surrender. You will surrender, not abdicate, No, you'll do your part, and you'll be responsible for what you're responsible for, but you will surrender your circumstances and your situations. You will not try to manipulate outcomes and control circumstances, or worse yet, we've all done this, control people to get the outcomes we want. No. You'll trust him, and you'll keep following him, even if it doesn't make sense to you. So my question to you is this. What step... And I don't know what this looks like for you, but what step has God been inviting you to take and you have been ignoring it? What stage along the process have you just stopped at and said, good enough, I don't want to keep going? What you have done is you have interrupted and you have abdicated the opportunity to develop trust at a deeper level with your Heavenly Father. And the only way you get to the point, and you've watched people like this, and you've thought something, I don't know how in the world they do that. How could they trust God so deeply? There must be something special about them. No, there's nothing special. They just just chose to keep taking a step until the trust was built that deep. So what step have you stopped at that you need to take? If you refuse to take it, you are losing the opportunity to build a deeper trust with God. And I can promise you this, you don't have to believe me, just give it time. One day you'll realize (laughs) that is a level of trust that you'll wish you had with God when life gets difficult. And when you don't have it, it's not going to be God's fault. It's going to be because you chose to stop following. So, as we wrap up, for some of you, you've never even embraced Jesus as your savior or your forgiver. That is your first step. For others of us, We're not actually following him as king, as a leader. We refuse to take a step. And what I want to invite all of us to do is to tell God in these moments, I'm willing to take that step. I'm willing to trust. I'm willing to follow. Would you pray with me? Father, it is challenging to do because... We all want to be in control. And honestly, we, we all want to be our own leader. And that seems to work real well for us until it doesn't. And then at that point, we wonder where, we are, where you are. And we, we don't realize that we missed all these opportunities to build trust with you, that you're there, but we don't, even, we don't even have enough trust built that we can lean into you the way that we need to. So in this moment, would you help us to have enough trust enough courage just to tell you, I'm going to take my next step. Whatever that looks like, whether it's accepting your forgiveness, embracing you Savior, whether it's having a difficult conversation, whether it's surrendering, trying to control the person and what they're doing, whether it's offering forgiveness, it's so scary for us to offer. I don't know what that looks like for us, but would you help us to take the step and to follow? Because you are a king who's worth following. You gave your life for us so we know you want what's best for us thank you for inviting us into more than just a transactional relationship and thank you for inviting us into a relationship with you that's built on trust and help us to continue to develop that it's in your name we pray amen Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with friends. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.